0: You're listening to Ono oh No Lit Class, dead authors, fresh takes,
1: and the epilogues you never knew you needed.
0: no class the podcast that doesn't understand why keats and yates aren't pronounced the same way which really works better as a joke when it's written down i'm megan i'm rj and on this episode we're talking about change hope no pretty much the opposite of that really
1: oh loose change
0: that wrong again more more of a metamorphosis From caterpillar
1: to butterfly?
0: No, from dude to gross bug.
1: That's a point of debate.
0: We'll we'll get to that. Today we're going to talk about Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis, because it's just fun to say the title over and over again in various different creepy voices.
1: Can you say the title in German?
0: Die Wurwandlung. Die Wurwandlung. Probably.
1: That seems fun.
0: Yeah. People might not be as familiar with kafka he's a little more kind of off the um beaten road in terms of required readings it's another one where you, you probably have had to resign yourself to uh the hell life of literature as a as a major in college although you read it in high school huh yeah that's weird
1: well, how, we were... how
0: was that for you
1: it was good. I was in the IB program. We're smart kids. Sorry you weren't as smart as me. I was in AP. Wow, AP. Whoa. Woo. That was at the 5.0 scale. We were on the 6.0 scale.
0: So even if you've never specifically read The Metamorphosis, you probably kind of have heard of it just because the main plot is a guy wakes up and he's turned into a giant horrible bug creature. And even if you're not sure who Kafka is, you may have heard the phrase Kafkaesque it's used to describe something. Um, except people will fuck that one up almost as much as they fuck up whether something's ironic or not. Byronic. Yeah. <laughs> something's byronic. A, a situation in which something weird or surreal happens and someone will be like, oh my god, this is a Kafkaesque. And they're going to say it just like that. And they're, they're wrong.
1: So if I'm surrounded by 10,000 spoons,
0: (laughs) all you need is a knife.
1: That's not Kafkaesque because it'd be pretty weird to be surrounded um, by 10,000 spoons. If
0: you're surrounded by 10,000 spoons, all you need is a knife and the spoons are going to persecute you for reasons that you can't fully understand, but you decide to just sort of accept because life is futile, then it's Kafkaesque.
1: How have the spoons got like little googly eyes?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that would add to it. So yeah, Kafkaesque means that something is sort of nightmarishly absurd. And that is sort of the main theme among his many uh, short stories. And he wrote, he wrote a couple longer pieces. He wrote a novel called The Trial. Um, we're not going to be talking about that one. But yeah, that's kind of the, the river that runs through his work. The things that happen to his protagonists are usually like so terrible, but in such a crazy and surreal way that it's kind of almost funny. It's kind of like a terrible three-way baby of useless bureaucracy and dream logic and bad times. Some examples of things that could be considered Kafkaesque, apart from being attacked by 10,000 spoons, would be waiting in line at the DMV, eighth grade geometry, American politics in general, and anything David Lynch has ever done Ever Gonna talk a little bit more about David Lynch and other people who whose work are like very much inspired by Kafka later. For now, we can just kind of get into the man himself, RJ. Uh, Franz Kafka was born July 3rd, 1883,
1: and died June 3rd, 1924. He was born into a middle-class, German-speaking Jewish family that lived in Prague. This was within the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Today, of course, Prague is part of the Czech Republic. His father, Hermann Kafka was a traveling salesman. Eventually, he opened his own shop in which he sold fine goods and clothing. The logo for the store was a jackdaw, which in Czech is pronounced Kafka.
0: That's actually pretty clever. It's a good, it's good pun.
1: Boom. Genius there.
0: Better than naming your manor Arrowhead Manor because you found oh. a bunch of arrowheads there. Franz's
1: mother, Julie, was well-educated. She was actually apparently more educated than the husband. She helped him run the business. She was able to actually do the books. The Kafkas had a total of six children. Franz was the oldest, and he had five siblings. George, Heinrich, Ellie, Valley, and Otla.
0: Good German children of an upright German stock.
1: Now, for those of you paying very close attention, you assuredly realized none of these kids (laughs) were named after the
0: parents. (laughs) Thank God. We've done it. We've done it, everyone. We made it. it.
1: Leave it to the Jews to do it right. Now... I don't want you to get attached to any of Franz's siblings because bad news. They yeah. all die in the Holocaust.
0: Wow. Okay. We did we had, that uh, some delivery there. We, we got to talk
1: about this here.
0: Okay. But I, I don't know if I would have phrased it that way. Cause then I was going to be like, Oh no. Cause I was going <laughs> to get so attached to to Otlov. And then you just dropped the Holocaust right in
1: uh, there. We got to talk about this here. So the Holocaust, it's a horrific event. Yes. Which we cannot possibly properly cover in this format.
0: No, there is just No way, but go for it. Uh,
1: But the Holocaust is something that will likely recur as we discuss authors of this period. I'll say this now and later, fuck Hitler, fuck Nazis, and fuck uh, subjugating people different than you. Ditto. We covered that now.
0: Okay, it's been covered.
1: So the Kafka family spoke German, as speaking German was the thing to speak at the time. It showed you had class, and doing so meant you had social mobility. However, being a Jewish family, the Kafka spoke the language with the Yiddish accent, which was derogatorily called... I don't know how to pronounce All this. Right,
0: let me see. Holy shit, that's... Oh, God. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Ma,
1: Maus...Musseldeutsch. Ma, ma, yeah, ma, ma, Deutsch.
0: Masseldeutsch. Deutsch.
1: Which leads me to believe that uh, Art Spiegelman...
0: Yeah, and ma- Oh, shit!
1: Got the title... Mouse. From his graphic novel "Mouse," um, which depicts the Holocaust, from the fact that Yiddish German was called "Mäusedolch," so because they're I, all
0: well, because they're all in in the graphic novel, all of the Nazis are cats, and all of the Jewish people are mice. So we just learned a thing.
1: We learned a thing. We figured out why it's called "mouse." Yep. Um, anyway, back to Franz. His uh, dad was described by a bi- biographer as quote huge, selfish, overbearing businessman." While Franz described him as, quote, a true Kafka in strength, health, appetite, loudness of voice, eloquence, self-satisfaction, worldly dominance, endurance, presence of mind, and knowledge of human nature. Make of that what you will.
0: My Oedipal senses are tingling. (laughs) Uh,
1: So since both parents worked at the family business for up to 12 hours a day.
0: Wait, that would be the opposite of Oedipal. That doesn't make sense. Because it's towards his dad, not his mom. Freud didn't have a thing for that, huh?
1: Well, you had the electric complex, but it had to be a daughter. Yeah, you had to
0: be right? a daughter. Yeah, no, he didn't uh, He didn't plan for this.
1: Probably didn't like the gays. Oh, eh, well. You got to keep the incest and the gay stuff separate. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Two discreet things.
1: Anyway, so both the, the parents worked at the family business for up to 12 hours a day. So Franz and the siblings were generally raised by governesses and servants, some of which lived with them. Um, the apartment was apparently a very small apartment. That they didn't have, like, enough rooms for everybody. Franz had a room of his own, but it was the coldest room. Why? (laughs) Because fuck Franz, I guess. Um, He was the oldest, so he got to put up with that shit.
0: Get your own room all to yourself.
1: Like the refrigerator. Yep. Um, So at the age of five, Franz began his formal education. He was sent to a boys' elementary school. And I'm in no way kidding here. It was called the Fleisch Market, or... The meat market. Oh, no. Yes. Old Franz was sent to the meat market to get his primary education. Uh, that's he, so
0: German.
1: He was also given a Jewish education, which ended when he turned 13, and he was bar mitzvahed. Yay. He never, Mazel tov. Yeah, exactly. Mazel tov. <laughs> He was never really into the whole temple scene. He only apparently went to temple th- for the four high holidays each year that the Jewish people have. Franz gra- graduated from the meat market at the age of 10. And he went to the equivalent of high school. So high school took place at the state gymnasium.
0: Wait, okay. I've got a couple questions there.
1: <laughs> so he went from a meat market to a gymnasium, which I guess is a step up. Less blood and guts, more hard-bodied people in tight spandex. Win-win. Among his other studies, uh, Kafka learned to speak and write in Czech at this point. He was at the gym for eight years. Eight years of blood, sweat, tears, spandex, and probably a lot of awkward teenage boners
0: i bet he got swole as fuck though
1: franz graduated with good grades and probably a deep-seated infatuation with sex he could never shake
0: foreshadowing
1: after the meat market in the gym franz went off to college at the age of 18
0: they don't have a fun name for college
1: he went to college (laughs) it was something really german (laughs) <laughs> but it was, it was not a,
0: assuredly german
1: but it was not a gymnasium or a meat market those were in his past all right fine continue uh so at college he began by studying chemistry but he jumped ship on that after about two weeks he decided to study law he apparently wasn't really into law but it offered him more real world opportunities he thought he could get a lot of different jobs studying law once he got out of college but more importantly to him, it was a longer program, which meant he would spend more time in school and he could take more classes like art history. So yes, Franz Kafka, a true liberal arts student <laughs> of his day. Stay in school <laughs> as long as you can, take in art classes <laughs> to avoid the real world.
0: Man, people give millennials so much shit for things that have been just going on forever.
1: Uh, while at university, he met a fellow law student and fellow Jew and future biographer, Max Brode. Uh, Max Brode is probably the only reason any of us know who Kafka is, but we're going to get to that at the end. So at the age of 23, Kafka was awarded his Juris Doctorate. He was now a nice Jewish lawyer because that's what we needed in the world. (laughs) After he graduated, he performed his one year of unpaid service as a law clerk. Uh, During that time, he oversaw both criminal and civil cases. After that, he bailed on the legal system. He had enough of that shit and he took up work with an insurance company. He handled uh, claims arising from workers' cop cases, things like lost fingers and limbs, because people were working with lathes and planing machines and rotary saws without basically any instruction or guidance.
0: The instruction is, keep your fingers out of the way of the pointy bits.
1: And, you know, they had kids working at the time.
0: Their fingers were smaller. It should have been easier.
1: Smaller claims. Mm. He only did that for about a year, though, because he worked from 8 in the morning to 6 at night, which didn't leave him any time to write, and he really wanted to focus on writing. So he stayed in the same field of insurance, but he found a new employer that let him leave at 2 in the afternoon every day.
0: We should all be so lucky.
1: Yeah, those are pretty good hours. Um, That employer credits Kafka for developing the first civilian hard hat. Oh... It's a weird thing to credit him for. Apparently, there's no evidence of it whatsoever, but his employer was just like, oh, by the way, this Franz guy, he created the first hard hat ever. And so that claim is kind of just out there as an assertion.
0: I'm going to treat it as fact because I like it.
1: Anyway, even with the uh, pretty sweet hours, Franz didn't really love the job. He referred to it as his bread job that helped support him so he could write. In 1911, Franz went into the business of one of his brother-in-laws. Um, the two of them opened Prague's first asbestos factory. What? Yeah, this does not <laughs> end well.
0: I can't imagine it would. And
1: then again, does anything with asbestos end well? Eventually, Franz resented the whole thing if for no other reason. It took up his time and didn't want him right.
0: He tried asbestos with asbestos.
1: He tried asbestos with both <laughs> of He tried asbestos with asbestos. And that's a tough one. It
0: is. It's really hard.
1: So it's uh, noteworthy that the brother-in-law that he went into business with was Toch Jewish, and it rubbed off on Franz a bit. And at that point, he took up an interest in Yiddish theater, and he began to seriously study the Yiddish language and literature. He also began to explore his own Judaism and became a vegetarian, which lasted the rest of his life. Wow. This, of course, means for all intents and purposes, he was generally kosher the rest of his life, because if you're vegetarian... You're pretty much kosher.
0: Yeah, you really don't got to worry about the meat and the cheese issues.
1: Uh, so if he ever went back to the meat market, he could charge more for his ass now because he's kosher meat.
0: You're really pleased with yourself <laughs> about that one, aren't you?
1: Yeah. So eventually, once you've seen League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, World War I did hit. Well, it's on my mind. You yeah. watch this L- rib-
0: Lest you've seen, Short and gentlemen, <laughs> like RJ did for the first time ever yesterday, this 14-year-old movie.
1: <laughs> World War One hit. Yay.
0: Ooh, mazel tov.
1: Uh This was kind of a big deal. You may have heard of it.
0: Nope. Um, nah, I missed it. Fran- Franz was 31
1: at the time. He was still living at home. But World War One forced him out because his sisters, who had moved out, had to move back home because their husbands left to fight the war so at the age of 31 franz was finally going out into the world on his own for the first time why wasn't he fighting in the war what a good boy <laughs> now franz was drafted to fight okay but his employers arranged for a deferment because franz was just so damn good at his job Ah. eventually the war dragged on it was supposed to be a rather short war Like, no one thought it was going to go for longer than six months.
0: It'll be a very quick war. Don't worry about it. Over before you know it. We're going to buzz right through it.
1: And it lasted four and a half years. Whoops. Eventually, Franz got the itch to enlist, but he was diagnosed with tuberculosis, which had no cure at the time. So that was that. Franz was now 34 and would spend the rest of his life going in and out of sanatoriums, basically a place where they shoved people with tuberculosis since there was nothing to really do for the people with tuberculosis except palliative care
0: somehow i think this might have been related to the abscess ab- abs- jesus fuck abscess factory asbestos yeah well,
1: when he tried to do asbestos with the asbestos yeah oh well, you really don't get tuberculosis from asbestos so probably not it's not like getting mesothelioma but that's then again,
0: it shit it was mesothelioma then
1: again if he did have mesothelioma could have
0: called, called a lawyer he <laughs>
1: Could have called a lawyer, he wouldn't have seen a commercial. But then again, if he had mesothelioma, the man might not have been able to diagnose it, so who knows.
0: Yeah. If you or a loved one has mesothelioma, you may be able to get money for stuff.
1: So a year after getting rejected by the military, his uh, employer forced him into retirement. But they did give him a pension for the rest of his life, so. All right. But he couldn't work anymore because of the tuberculosis.
0: That sucks. So
1: Franz, the boy who'd spent his childhood growing up in a meat market and a gymnasium never married but he was apparently quite the serial dater
0: ladies man
1: biographers say he was tortured by his incessant sexual desire uh, oh he frequented brothels and yes apparently interested in pornography
0: <gasps> sex a- monster
1: uh, he really hit his sexual peak after moving out of his parents house and out of the cold room at the age of 31 <laughs> imagine that those two things are related well you know shrinkage it was holding him back also living
0: at his parents house at the age 31
1: but he always felt guilty and nervous about the whole thing he was apparently afraid of being a sexual failure or that people would find him mentally and physically repulsive from all accounts he was likable and attractive with a boyish handsome charm and basically seen by everyone as intelligent
0: People said they liked hanging out with him. He was extremely funny. They even said, like, he gave good advice. Like, people like to go to Kafka for, like, hey, like, help me out, man. I got some problems. And he would give him a hand. So it's kind of a bummer that he, like, was just like, no, people are going to think of Mickey.
1: So this could uh, just be an example of Jewish self-guilt and self-loathing at its peak. Yeah. It is rumored that Fran struggled with anorexia and depression throughout his life. By the time he was 37, he was engaged for a third time, this time to a poor, uneducated chambermaid. Before the date of their wedding, though, he ran off to get with another woman. Franz later said it was due to the first woman's Zionist beliefs, and that scared him. Oh? Scared him enough to break off the marriage.
0: And that was his third one, though, so I think uh, at that point it was just kind of less about... Her beliefs and more about, I don't know, Franz needing to keep his dick wet.
1: She was also a chambermaid and uneducated. So well, he just he
0: was the one who got engaged to her. I don't think anybody put a gun to his head. He was aiming low. And at that point also, she might have been like, hmm, he's, you know, he's walked out on two other engagements.
1: <laughs> so at the age of 40, while on vacation along the Baltic, Franz met a woman by the name of Dora Diamant, a 25-year-old kindergarten teacher And Orthodox Jew. She would be his final love interest in his life. Um,
0: Because he died before he could leave her and break off the engagement.
1: We'll talk about this. So they became lovers. Uh, She sparked an interest in him to study the Torah. This seemed to be a thing for him. The more Jewish chicks he got into bed, the more Jewish he became. And he kind of like absorbed (laughs) their Jewishness.
0: My Jewish power only grows stronger. The
1: fact is that he actually at that point began to study the Torah in earnest. Which contrasted with journal entries from earlier in life when he referred to himself as an atheist and said things like, quote, What have I in common with Jews? I have hardly anything in common with myself and should stand very quietly in a corner, content that I can breathe.
0: I think him and Emily Dickinson would have gotten along really well.
1: So he moved to Berlin to live with Dora. While there, he studied Hebrew, he attended classes taught by rabbis, and even started attending the College for the Study of Judaism. Franz even considered moving to Palestine with Dora as part of the Zionist movement. So now he was okay with the Zionist movement. He really just absorbed that Jewishness. Apparently. He wrote to a friend in Tel Aviv to see if uh, him and Dora could stay with the friend and like the friend would host them for a little while while they got on their feet. But the friend turned him down, citing the fact that Franz still had tuberculosis and the friend had kids and didn't want to expose his kids to Mr. Tuberculosis over there. Yeah, that's fair. So after living in Berlin for a year, Franz's tuberculosis got worse. He moved back to Prague, where his family cared for him, and he died shortly thereafter. To be blunt and honest, his death was horrible. He basically starved to death. The tuberculosis got to the point that his throat swelled up so much that he could not swallow food, and intravenous food had not been invented yet, so there was just no way to feed him.
0: There's there's not not really a joke you could say for that. That's, uh, That's fucking awful.
1: Uh, His body was kept in Prague, and he was buried in a Jewish cemetery. At the time of his death, Franz was completely unknown. He had published hardly anything during his life, and while he was alive, he never finished any of his full-length novels, and he burned 90% of his work while living in Berlin with Dora. The things that remained were sent to Max Brode, the Jewish friend he made at law school, or he left everything else to Dora. Before dying, Franz wrote to Max, Dearest Max, my last request. Everything I leave behind me in the way of diaries, manuscripts, letters, my own and others, sketches, and so on, is to be burned unread. That was a real good German
0: accent, by the way.
1: I really yeah. believed
0: I was listening to Franz Kafka. Dearest Max, <laughs> my last request. Wait, why is your German voice just your regular voice but with more throat?
1: Very German. <laughs> to
0: be like oh yes uh da, max air, air, air jones <laughs> air max
1: my last request
0: oh you make him sound really sad oh air max my last request i am Franz kafka and i am three feet tall
1: oh well, to drop a truth bomb on you at that point his voice was nothing because oh! it swelled up
0: why you gotta make the joke sad
1: so anyway max ignored the request and published everything he could This is when Franz actually became popular. And if it wasn't for Max ignoring Franz's wishes, we never would have heard about Franz Kafka. As for the works Franz left with Dora, no one has actually ever seen them. We know based on her letters to others that she did not burn them as instructed, but that the 20 notebooks and 35 letters that were left to her were confiscated by the Gestapo in 1933. Ah, fuck. Scholars are still searching for those items. Back to the items we do have that came from Max Brode it is important to note that max had to piece a lot of what franz left behind together franz wrote in notebooks, sometimes not in any sensical order he would maybe write from the back of the notebook to the front or oh, he would geez. just like write in the middle of the notebook for some and then pick up a new notebook um max also finished the unfinished novels for franz
0: so he really is just the German dude, Emily Dickinson, just trying to burn everything he ever made, trying to tell people to destroy it, writing on pieces of random paper and crazy order and having the people left behind having to deal with it.
1: Yep. And you didn't want any of it to be left behind. He wanted to yeah, burn he just burn it away.
0: Well, so did, so did M.E.D. That's kind of interesting, then, because then you have to ask yourself the kind of questions of like, okay, so how much of Kafka is Max... Broad Brode? Brode, Brode Brod. Is Max Broad.
1: Well, it's he only wrote the or finished off the full-length novels, which I don't think there were many of. I think there's only three.
0: Yeah, no, it was mostly short pieces, but you're saying if he had to, like, maybe organize them and, like, put them together and, like, so... No, like,
1: he had to write them. Like, they were unfinished.
0: No, 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 I'm talking yeah. about... Yeah, no, I'm talking about you had to write those, but for the short pieces, like, you're still saying, like, there was still, like, shit in random order and everything was kind of messy, so, like, I'm just curious about, you know, how much of his influence there was on like the final product
1: a lot he did change punctuation and some word choices and I'd piece it together and figure out the order of it because like it wasn't numbered or anything and so he had to do the best he could to figure out what this guy was going for yes
0: yeah, so that's what's interesting so it's like should the it should be like the metamorphosis by Franz kafka and a little bit by max Brandt.
1: um so once kafka became popular writers began to glow over him w.h Auden called kafka quote the dante of the 20th century Nabokov said Kafka was one of the best authors of the 20th century and Gabriel Garcia Marquez credits Kafka for showing authors that it is possible to write in a different way, specifically pointing to the metamorphosis.
0: Good lead-in. So the metamorphosis is probably his most well-known work, like I was saying before, because even if you don't know who he is or you've never read the story or any of that, you probably know the opening line. As Gregor Samsa awoke one morning from uneasy dreams, he found himself transformed in his bed into a gigantic insect. Or... Insect-like creature. Or... Monstrous vermin. Or... something. German. You know? The the translations. They don't run both ways. Basically, big ol' multi-legged gross thing. And people tend to pick cockroach because... They're pretty much universally reviled as icky.
1: So one of the things with Kafka and translating him to English is, one, there's 11 different English translations of the Metamorphosis, so... Good lord. You could get a lot of different examples of the same short story. The trouble is, is that Kafka, what he really enjoyed is in German... The way the syntax works is you could literally write for pages without any punctuation. You could make words like reflexive, like stuff that we can't do in English.
0: You could do all kinds of crazy-ass grammar acrobatics.
1: And so it's hard to go from German into English. I would imagine if you're familiar with Spanish or Latin or probably any of the Romance languages, it'd be a little bit easier just because that's built into those languages in ways that it's not in English. So Megan gave us the first line. If we were to literally do a word-for-word translation of what Kafka wrote, it would be, as Gregor Samsa, one morning from Restless Dreams awoke, found he himself in his bed into an enormous vermin transformed.
0: So German-English is basically like being Yoda.
1: A bit. And what kafka like to do is like if you notice in that version that it ends with the transformed is that kafka like to lead up to this big thing oh my god he changed you know that it's like the the wizard pulling back or the the magician (laughs) magician, pulling back (laughs) the curtain yes and revealing what's going on so we need to point something out here okay so the word that kafka uses um let me
0: get a look at that Unggeistver, um, geist,
1: geisver? geisver. You got, you got to
0: say it with that, you know, okay. like you're, like you're interrogating Indiana Jones.
1: So um, Geisver, <laughs> it has a lot of meanings. Generally, it means an unwanted or unclean thing. It doesn't necessarily mean bug. It means thing. In Middle German, it has the literal meaning of something, quote, unclean for sacrifice, and so we've taken it to mean bug or cockroach or beetle or people refer to it here as vermin or creature or insectoid creature that's not what we're given instead having read all these different translations i thought to myself probably what was kafka really going for and it's clear to me it had to do with something unclean something dirty almost
0: a pest no but not any pest no no Oh my the god, pest. no. No one's gonna get that.
1: Well, it's John Leguizamo.
0: Uh, yes, of course. John Leguizamo's movie, <laughs> The Pest, which everybody has seen and knows about from, I don't even know what year. The 1990s. Yeah, I don't even know what year. Some bullshit in the 1990s. Why would you not know about the past i don't know it had a cover with him on it with a, a bullseye a target no it was like a bullseye oh, or you're Right. and i never rented it at blockbuster i just saw it there great
1: that's a nine percent on tomato awesome do you want to hear the opening song
0: no what's the opening song
1: i've seen this movie
0: i'm so sorry <laughs> So just picture the metamorphosis opening with this music. Gregor Samsa awoke to find himself, John Leguizamo. Look at that! Wow! So he, it just opens with him being racist in the shower.
1: That's why I remembered it in the shower. That's how it opens. See, because he's a monstrous vermin. He's dirty. Got to get clean to deal with the people out there, mate. Uh...
0: All right, so I guess for the rest of this, just imagine John Leguizamo doing these things we're going to talk about.
1: I think that's how Franz would have wanted it.
0: I think so, too. So the first time that I ever heard anything about The Metamorphosis was actually when the movie The Producers came out in 2005. So I would, like, the 2005 version of the producer, because I think it's in the original one also, but I hadn't watched that one yet because I was, like, 15 and didn't have taste in things. And so that was the new one in theaters, and I watched that one. And so there's a scene where they're reading bad plays, or they're trying to find the worst play to produce, and Nathan Lane's character reads that opening line about Gregor Samsa uh, waking up as a giant cockroach, and then he kind of shakes his head and goes, Nah, it's too good. And... That was the only time I'd heard of it. And I remembered it because it's really funny and weird. And then when I got to college, I read The Trial first. And here's the thing that's weird. I have no idea what class I read The Trial and uh, The Metamorphosis for. Like, I didn't take any... I took, like, Romantic-era Britlet classes and, like, 19th, 20th century American stuff and postmodern classes because, gosh, I like to suffer, but... I didn't read, I know I didn't read it for any of those, so I have no idea what class I read Kafka in. Is it a situation that could be called Kafkaesque? No, it's not. That would be using it wrong. Still, it's weird, though. So, the metamorphosis. Gregor Samsa wakes up, and we know that he has undergone his super yucky transformation, so what's his first reaction to this nightmarish body horror? Shit. Shit. I'm gonna be late for work. Yeah, no, really. Even if you're um completely unfamiliar with like Kafka and his style or whatever, there's your big hint that it's not a horror story in the way that we would think of it, like an Edgar Allan Poe sort of like ah oh no, or Frankenstein sort of horror. Frankenstein. Franken- Frankenstein. Uh, so yeah, instead of holy shit, I'm a giant bug, what the sweet and sour fuck is happening, Gregor thinks about his job as a traveling salesman, which is how he supports his parents and sister and how much he hates it, and it sucks. Sure. His family all take turns knocking on the door and being like, Greg, get up and go to work, and he tries to answer, but only weird buggy noises come out. Uh, they think he must be sick or something, but he's like, nah, I'll just, I'll get up, I'll have some breakfast, and then I'll clear this whole bug nonsense right up. Which, even though he's German, is maybe the most British sentiment I've ever heard in my life. Go out, get a little bit of breakfast, and it all just clear itself out.
1: You gotta do Donald Guzama.
0: No. Unfortunately, his gross new little leggies don't work all that well, though. So he mostly flails around until his manager comes to the house to see why he hasn't come into work, because that's a thing that makes sense. My boss will just come to my house and be like, hey the fuck ain't you at work so they're knocking on the door and he's just trying to be all like just a second i'm just coming out of the shower like everything's cool i'm fine i just need to put pants on except instead of words it's more terrible bug noises i'm luigi mario (laughs) please please just don't are you princess toadstool (laughs) why is he italian (laughs) He's Luigi Mario. Yeah, but if you're, oh, the only reason you're referencing that is because Charlie Guzman was Luigi in the movie. He doesn't have Italian accent. He has a fucking Brooklyn accent.
1: Hey, hey, I'm Luigi now.
0: Hey, I'm Gregor Sampson here.
1: Well, the Brooklyn accent probably sounds like insect nonsense to Germans. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck is this guy on about?
0: Anyway, he eventually gets the door open and scuttles out, freaking the shit out of everyone. But again. All Gregor is worried about is his job, and he's begging his boss to just not make this weird, and his boss responds by hauling ass out of the SAMHSA home. His dad uses a cane to sort of like roughly scooch Gregor back into his room, and he's oozing, and it's it's just the worst. It's ugh. Gregor feels very bad about all of this. Mostly because he won't be able to work and support his family, and he wedges himself under a couch, like dogs do sometimes when they're feeling shamed. So he wakes up and he's a giant bug, and he's like, "Gosh, this sucks. How how am I gonna go to work?
1: Oh no! Ruined
0: my oh no. I'm a bug now." <laughs> <I'm> a- <laughs> Puczynski awoke after uneasy dreams to find he transformed into a bull talk.
1: <laughs>
0: no, that's a horrible word. A- Kocchinski. Don't say that word ever again. This Sunday on, <laughs> on CBS. CBS. America's Most Watched Network. All right. <laughs> so he wedges himself under the couch. Played by John Leguizamo. Like d- Stop. It's um, his head. Yeah.
1: <laughs> See, it's a broach body with John his head. Oh
0: uh, I really don't want to envision that. Um but then his sister comes in and feeds him some garbage and he feels better. <laughs> so that happens. Like this is this is like shot for shot what goes on in this story. I'm not embellishing. I just want to make that clear.
1: But you you're weaving out the fact you try to like Give him people oh, yeah, that's food true. First. She
0: does try people food first, and he, he he's not about that anymore. And so her next logical leap is maybe garbage. And, I mean, she ends up being totally right, so. So eventually, the Samsas just kind of adjust to this. No, they don't. Well, they fall into a routine, is okay. what I'm saying. Like When I say adjust <laughs> to this, I mean they fall into this weird routine of just dealing with Gregor, which involves mostly feeding him garbage and trying to look at and mention him as little as possible because he's a giant bug now, and that's just the way things are, I guess. They're just, they're very German about it. So Gregor continues to feel really bad about being a huge bug because this is his fault, somehow, and he does things to try to make it easier for his family like wear a big sheet over himself so he only looks like the ghost of a huge (laughs) bug
1: it makes sense to me
0: (laughs) like he just comes out and it's oh geez like it's funny but it's also really sad to think about like this poor guy has had this weird and terrible thing happen to it what
1: You try to be spooky woo. Oh, I'm yeah. a bug.
0: I'm the ghost of your son. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, skitter, 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 skitter. <laughs> All right, but but really, like this poor guy has had this weird and terrible thing happen to him, and his family can't even deal with looking at him, and he's so desperate for love that he's like, "Here, my gross awfulness is less visible. Please love me." Like, you laugh, and then you feel really shitty about laughing. But, uh, no. So his mother, who's kind of been sort of kept away from Gregor since the change, is finally like, oh, let me see him, let me see my son. And she goes in to see him, finds him clinging to the ceiling. Now I'm just picturing John <laughs> clinging to the ceiling, just, like, turning his head 360 degrees like the exorcist. <laughs> Be like, hey, mom.
1: Hey, Megan. <laughs> Don't <Dumb> plot. <laughs> boy they
0: okay really i got a list oh no no close your list don't be Jesus. such a mensch you wouldn't tell someone to not be a mensch a mensch is a good thing oh. you want someone to be a mensch you're okay. what kind of shitty jew okay. are you you're going
1: on another spiel close
0: your fucking computer so she sees him clinging to the ceiling and she just like faints dead away like she can't even deal this upsets gregor's dad who responds by throwing apples at his roach son until one hits him and he goes unconscious. Yeah. The apple, like, really hurts Gregor, and he spends a good month recovering. Also, there's an apple lodged in his back now forever because no one wants to get close enough to remove it, so that's just a part of him now. Which, again, funny to picture, really upsetting to think about. Also, all the family have jobs now to support themselves, so Gregor feels like a leech in the metaphorical sense now, too. Even though he was the only one working before, and no one seemed to feel bad about that. Hmm, SAMHSA family. So they get a cleaning woman to help deal with the the Gregor mess, and she's actually not horrified of him she treats him like a dog basically which i get usually you know it's used in a negative context but here is definitely a step up from bug like she just kind of shoes him around and chats with him and she has a bunch of goofy nicknames for him like you overgrown beetle you like it's kind of weirdly affectionate And if this was a less depressing story, this would be the beginning of a montage, where her nice treatment of Gregor eventually leads to them, like, breaking the spell, and he becomes human again, but nope, not that kind of story. And actually, Gregor fucking hates her, and wishes she would stop talking to him. He was like, you know, I'm a bug, and this is terrible, but please shut up.
1: Comedy here is (laughs) through the roof. (laughs) How come the Cohen brothers haven't made this a movie yet? That is a
0: really good Actually, question. Actually, I guess we'll get to that at the end. Yeah, we will get to that at the end, but that is a good question. So the Sims has taken three boarders to try to make more money, and uh, they sort of stuff all the extra junk in Gregor's room to make more room for them because they suck. Uh, they also hide Gregor from them, which, while also terrible, admittedly makes sense. Regular roaches at a boarding house are already gross as fuck, let alone a dude-sized one. Oh, no, no, don't worry, don't worry, that's just our son, Gregor. Here, we'll make him put the sheet on, it'll be fine. But then he hears his sister playing the violin, and it's so pretty that he's just sort of compelled to come out of his room, and the boarders react as you might imagine, and Gregor's dad is like, Pay no attention to the man bug behind the door! And Gregor just sadly scuttles back into his room, while his family is all like, I hate everything about this. This is just the worst, because having to care for a giant bug is so much more awful than having to be a giant bug, right? And Gerger's very hurt and is like, guess I'll just die then. And he does. He just kind of sequesters himself off and dies. And the family's just like, oh, thank God. And then they take a trip out to the country to forget that the whole thing ever happened. The dicks. The end. So we never find out why he was a bug, because that's half the point. Bad shit doesn't need a reason to happen, it just does. And maybe you could depend on your family for help, or maybe they'll just throw fucking apples at you. So people will interpret this story in a few different ways. Um, A big one is capitalism. Capitalism is bad because Gregor is so hung up on supporting his family and that being a giant bug means that he can't have a job. And if you don't work, then what even are you? You're a leech on the system is what you are. Ah, It's not the most subtle of interpretations. It's also, though, a pretty solid metaphor for depression or even like chronic illness to a point. Um, in terms of, like, depression, you know, Gregor says at the beginning that he hates his job, and he kinda hates his life, and, you know, one day he just wakes up and sees himself as this gross thing, and he can't really get out of bed or leave his room, and his family takes care of him, but doesn't really want to deal with him or accept that this is happening, and eventually just resent him and wish he'd die already, because that'd be easier. Fuck. I mean, that just, like, not really a joke there, it just fucking sucks.
1: Look, if your kid turned into John Leguizamo, you probably want him to die, too.
0: (laughs) I would love my John Leguizamo bug son. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) So when I first read Metamorphosis, when I was a wee lad in old non-gymnasium, non-meat market high school, I thought Metamorphosis was kind of depressing, sad. I basically took it at face value. Now, looking back at it, much more learned. I think this is a comedy.
0: I mean, it's a it's a dark fucked up comedy, to be sure.
1: So apparently there are a good number of writers that argue people completely misunderstand Kafka, that Kafka, while he did focus on alienation and persecution, he did it for the gallows humor, that he was into absurdism, that he was just like, into that kind of stuff that basically they would compare him to what today we have as the cohen brothers who basically put characters in absurd situations and then just punish those characters relentlessly for no particular reason and as the audience we kind of feel bad for them but if you actually look at it objectively it is just funny and ridiculous
0: And I mean, that's his whole shtick, as we talked about before, that it's like when things get so bad in such a weird way that it can't, it's just, it's funny. Like, that's, that's his whole aesthetic.
1: So Kafka didn't publish a lot in his life. He did a little bit and he did some readings um, while he was alive. And people who went to those readings always said Kafka would focus on the absurdism and basically the punchline that he would build 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 and then there is oh like that joke at the end um so i mean i do think maybe part of kafka is just lost in the translation which is maybe why we have to have 11 different translations of the metamorphosis and just as many different versions of the opening line let alone the rest of the book or short story and so i think maybe part of that does get lost but anyway like i was saying to me i think of him as the third Cohen brother which makes me think if kafka had written no country for old men would Anton Sugar have been played by John Leguizamo?
0: There's absolutely no reason that he would have but shirked.
1: I think it'd be still a scary film. <laughs> the question is, would it still be an Oscar-winning film? It's a good question.
0: We're being very mean to John Leguizamo.
1: One of the things I was wondering is why have the Coen Brothers not done The Metamorphosis? I could just imagine Brad Pitt or George Clooney, whoever <laughs> they want at the time.
0: Oh no! At this point, it wouldn't. It would be um
1: oscar isaac
0: i was gonna say he's like half uh, jewish it's true he, well, he is well, he's like a a third there's jewish in there it, this is a this thing but i was gonna say no um john turturro who would have been like Barton fink they torture him
1: john turturro is too old all right fine. and you gotta have the good looking guy who becomes the roach oh you just that's see his true little head. he's
0: like, <laughs> oscar isaac oscar isaac <laughs> yeah
1: just there yeah he could probably pull it off and then oscar isaac he becomes the vermin and he becomes a little henny, skitters around, Me. and John Goodman is the dad, of course. Of course. Throwing apples around. <laughs> see, I can put this whole movie together for them right now. Coen Brothers. You get Oscar Isaac.
0: Well, see, there's not enough characters is the you problem. You get John Goodman.
1: The sister would be, they don't usually do female characters. They don't, no,
0: they're not, they, yeah, considering how much they reuse other characters. Oh, they like, what's her name, but they haven't used her in a while because she's old, from like Fargo and Raising Arizona. No, oh. Can't think of her name.
1: Well, they could get Jessica Chastain to be current. Sure,
0: why not? Yeah. And, uh, then-, and then the borders will be George Clooney, uh, Brad Pitt, and there you go. And John Turturro. they could be the three borders. Ah, there you go.
1: <laughs> Someone has to be the boss, though. That
0: shows uh, up. J.K. Simmons.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah he would yell. Exactly. Open the store right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a great J.K. Simmons. Impression. Open the damn door. <laughs> yeah, that's what he sounds like. <laughs> basically puchinski <laughs> indiscernible <laughs> rj master of a thousand voices it's me
1: jicky simmons
0: <laughs> there you go Colin brothers we've we've built your movie send us some money please yeah 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 tweet it to add us
1: it is in their wheelhouse take characters and punish in absurd ways
0: extra points if that character is jewish
1: well they're jewish yeah that's what i'm saying it. so yeah
0: extra extra points so yes there has not been a the Cohen brothers have not done an adaptation of Metamorphosis and there really hasn't been one in general there have been a couple of like small films and short films and I couldn't find most of them there's a short film called Fra- Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life and it's a parody of like a, a one, it's a wonderful life like Christmas Eve kind of thing. And also uh, Kafka trying to write the Metamorphosis. It actually won the Oscar for Best Short in uh, 1995, and it's on YouTube. but it's really funny. And it was also directed by Peter Capaldi, which is interesting. Which, if you're a nerd, you might know that he's the twelfth, twelfth, right? Yeah, he's the twelfth Doctor on uh, Doctor Who, and he's that guy who says fuckety bye. In I think it was in the Loop. That's a horrible movie. People like that movie because he says the swears funny. That movie. i still haven't seen it people watch it on netflix
1: okay i might have not liked it because i couldn't understand them
0: because the brit brits do the words hard for you
1: oy, 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 oy.
0: so good at your your accents there. Oy, 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 oy. all right well Franz kafka's it's a wonderful life it's free to watch on youtube it's really funny and you know won the oscar for a reason one would assume um <laughs> <laughs> one would assume
1: the Oscars <laughs> got it right i mean come on guys we're talking about <laughs> the Oscars.
0: Oh, fuck you. There was a, a big major movie in 1991 um, just called Kafka by Steven Soderbergh, and it starred Jeremy Irons, and I have seen it. I don't remember why. I think it was just on IFC, and I was, like, homesick or something, and it's, like, in black and white, and it's it's trying really hard to be, like, a David Lynch movie, but it's not, and it's just not very good at all. What's it about? It's about this guy who is Franz Kafka, maybe, sort of, kind of, and uh, he's a writer, but there's a weird conspiracy happening, and no one's sure what the conspiracy is, but bad things are happening, and one of his friends is dead, maybe, and now there's this strange woman, and he's a part of an anarchist plot, kind of... It tries to do that thing, of the, the the Kafkaesque thing of things are shadowy and weird and people are out to get you and you don't know why, but it, does, it, just, it doesn't do a very good job. It just ends up sort of confused and you're like, I don't know what's going on and not in the terrible dreamlike way, just in the this movie has no direction way. So the two biggest students of Kafka that I think of outside of the Coen brothers would be, like I said before, David Lynch. I can't remember the exact quote now, and I didn't, like, write it down. But he said that uh, Kafka would be, like, the one person that he could see himself in conversation with. That they would just be good buds and have a bunch to talk about, I guess. And so then the other one would be David Cronenberg. Except David Cronenberg kind of looked at the metamorphosis and said, Yes, but Fuck the metaphors. Let's just have people turning into gross, crazy shit. Uh, There's a phrase called Cronenbergian body horror, and it's coined because he likes to make movies about weird, gross, terrible things happening to people, and so there's this one movie that he's made that's pretty famous. It's called The Fly, and it's kind of like The Metamorphosis in that Jeff Goldblum turns into a gross man-sized fly.
1: Now, Jeff Goldblum would be... In the Wes Anderson version of The Metamorphosis.
0: Oh, man. Wes Anderson Metamorphosis would be so good.
1: <laughs> and it's perfect because it happens in a house. Exactly.
0: It's just in one apartment. You would just have people People would uh, reacting to the situation in the same flat way. Just, I'm a bug now. This means I can't go to work. Oh, no.
1: Maybe Jeff Goldblum could be the
0: dad. Owen Wilson? Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm a... Wow, wow. I'm a bug. I I guess I can't go to my job today. (laughs) Wow. Let me put this blanket on me. Maybe no one will notice. I just, I thought maybe I would just, you know, ow, why are you throwing apples at me? (laughs) Nature finds a way. (laughs) Wes Anderson, at us. Um, We're getting way off subject here. There's one more adaptation that I feel is worth mentioning just because it's stupid as fuck. And I want to, like, I want to shit on it. And that's from the good people that brought you *Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies*. I believe they're called Quirk Classics. And um, while that one did make it into a film, they've made like a good like dozen or so other shitty parody versions of classic literature in the hopes to like make the magic happen again. So they made the much less marketable *Meowmorphosis*, in which Gregor Samsa turns into an adorable kitten. Now, on the surface, I could get behind this. Because, like, it would make the story that much more kind of interesting if, like, no, he doesn't transform into, like, this gross, terrible thing. He's a cute little kitten, and it's like, oh And at first, like, the family are like, all right, we can, you know, we'll take care of you. But then, think about it, like, eventually they would come to resent him as this kitten in constant need of care, and Gregor can never be taken seriously again because he's just so cuddly, but, um... No, basically what they did was they just swap out the word, like, bug or what have you for kitten. They don't change anything else. It's the same, like, word-for-word thing, and they're just like, he's cat instead, though. Which makes the story weirder, admittedly, because all the context is gone. But it's also lazy and dumb as hell, and I hate these people. So, RJ, metamorphosis. Good or bad?
1: Eight menores up
0: the hell does that mean
1: well there were the maccabees you see no no, i i
0: I know how a menorah works
1: and they (laughs) had oil Uh, for one night mm. but somehow Mm -hmm. the oil lasted eight nights eight nights
0: yeah that thing i just said
1: adam sandler made a movie about this
0: yes and this pertains to the metamorphosis because jews give it eight jews out of ten
1: No, it's a menorah's eight menores out of eight
0: so then you like it and you think it's good
1: bueno i think that's yiddish for good
0: yeah sure why not it could it can be
1: but yeah hey megan yeah rj metamorphosis good or super good
0: good it's a super weird kind of story at least you know on the surface and um i feel like it's a story that you know someone could read and just be like this guy you know it turns into a bug and we never find out why and then he dies and it's super weird and why did i just read this why why did i just have to read this weird story and it it's a kind of story that makes you have to think harder and think critically and i think that that's something that we all need to do and read every now and then i mean like it's easy to go look at a like beautiful landscape painting and just be like yeah that's a good painting and then you know you go find some weird modernist painting that looks like it's just a big matte black square or something you're just like this is stupid why is this art I could do this and then you have to look closer at it and see like different layers or colors or things like that and that it's not what it looked like on the surface and I feel like this story is like that piece of art and that's that's stuff that we need because everything was easy it wouldn't be fucking worth thinking about. There so that's go. that's my take. Very good. <laughs> That'll about do it for us on this episode of Ona Lit Class. We're schwapping it across the finish line. <laughs> Indeed. Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, this shout out thing doesn't seem to be working out. So this isn't
1: schlock, guys.
0: <laughs> it's quality A prime <laughs> material, and we do it because we love you. I'm
1: ready to be schmaltzy. Shut and... shut up. Look we'll at you schmoozing them.
0: <laughs> Why are they all shh sounds?
1: Because there's a letter. In Hebrew, that's sh, shin. In fact, it's on the dreidel. So that should make yeah, one of the four yeah, yeah. letters. All right, here a... I got,
0: I got one for you. Shut up! Remember that uh, you can like us on Facebook, you got a on, follow yeah. us on Twitter, and uh, you can listen to us and on iTunes or any of the places that you enjoy listening to your podcasts on, as well as at onaliklass.com. Thanks to Beste, as always, because he wrote the thing that you hear at the beginning of every episode the next episode will be up on july 20th i'm megan i'm rj we love you Bye.
1: we might have to take the cat out i think we should put the cat in i think we should interview him all
0: right fine if you're gonna be quiet you can stay